inner wealth. What is it? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guests and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by Fundwise Capital. Fundwise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals and connect with Fundwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Uh, yeah. And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. We're going to talk about inner wealth tonight. What does that mean, inner wealth? Uh, I struggle with getting outer wealth, so uh, that that's something uh, I, I need to work on. I'm not even sure what inner wealth refers to, although I have I have some inclination that it might have to do with um, mindset that kind of stuff. My guest tonight has written a book called Inner Wealth. There it is, right there. Uh, and she's here to talk about that. But she uh, she named one of the top 100 women leaders in healthcare in of 2021 uh, by Women We Admire, author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Inner Wealth: How Wellness Heals, Nurtures, and Optimizes Ultra Successful People. Not me. Uh, over 25 years of experience as a clinical social worker, executive coach, and yoga and meditation teacher, founder and CEO, a lot of a lot of uh, credentials here. Founder and CEO of Golden, formerly Namaste Wellness, a global leader in wellness education and employee self care programs. Julie Ward is here with us. Please open your minds, open your ears, and help me welcome her. And Julie, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff for you there. A very busy uh, life of putting together a whole lot of credentials. Congratulations! It made me tired just just hearing you list it all. Actually, <laughs> I was like, gosh, uh, I need to rest. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I gotta. I should quit smoking. I don't want to smoke. Uh, uh, anyway, so uh, I started with the question: inner wealth. What does the phrase even mean? 
Great question. So, you know, inner wealth is really about our feeling of inner abundance, of inner resource, of, you know, how do we access um, a feeling, a mindset, as you mentioned, um, that can access joy, that can access rest, that can access coping skills and tools that help us navigate our day-to-day life. So I think, you know, what inspired this concept is really having worked with some really extraordinary human beings um, through the years of my career, both um, some who have sort of exorbitant outer wealth, exorbitant external resources, financial resources, huge amounts of success, as well as people who had very little in terms of financial wealth or external resources. I've worked with some of the most disenfranchised populations um, in New York City in the early days of my career. And, you know, one of the things that I really noticed is um, the people that had the, the outer wealth didn't always have the inner wealth. And sometimes the people that didn't have the outer wealth had a great deal of inner wealth. And so it was just an interesting little um, experience to kind of watch what people were able to to cultivate from within uh, for themselves to create an experience of their life that, um, you know, that was fulfilling. It's, uh, I'm going to try to oversimplify that, that, uh, answer to what is inner wealth is it character is it is it basically uh strength of character is that what you're talking about because in uh, some of the things coping skills and things like that those things came to play in every executive position i've ever had uh and i've always felt like um because i i've had some very People from from the outside looking in would say I've had uh, some extraordinary careers and uh, some positions of uh, high executive positions um, where I felt like a complete imposter because I know the real me does not have a lot of those um, patience, coping skills, all those kind of things. And so would it be fair to, to talk about it as like strength of character and your inner character or no? I think that that's a way to think about it, but I do believe that it's that it's actually um, a little more than that. So, you know, one of the things that I talk a lot about in my book is the four pillars of wellness, which are movement, stillness, connection, and nourishment. And the idea that these four categories are areas of our life that if we have them, as as consistent parts of our daily experience, we're able to face the challenges of our day, you know, with um with more strength, with more inner character, with more more resource, so to speak. So, meaning if we're moving regularly, um, if we're getting enough rest and and we're finding times for stillness, mindfulness, whatever you like, um, if we're nourished by healthy food, but also things that, that bring us joy, if it's nature, if it's art, if it's music, whatever that might be. And if we have connection, if we have relationships that are meaningful, that are fulfilling, um, that, that we suddenly have 
sort of a very rich internal resource. You know, we 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 have tools to make our life feel full, make our life feel happy, make our life uh, make us feel resilient. Um, whereas, you know, we can have exorbitant outer wealth, but without these inner resources, without these inner tools, we um, we can actually feel pretty pretty deprived um, and pretty empty. I, I'm feeling more and more like an imposter with every word you say because uh, three or four now, um, I missed one of them. Uh, there's movement, stillness, and nourishment. What was the third one? The one connection, in- connection, okay. connection. Yeah. Uh, the three, those three that I mentioned, though, I, I'm terrible. I'm terrible at movement. I know as I get old, I used to be incredibly fit, but since, you know, since uh, around the time of March 2020, when when people started uh, just locking themselves in their homes, I don't think I've moved since then. Uh, stillness, I've never. <laughs> never it's never been a part of my life kinetic energy is is how uh, i would have defined my life and uh, nourishment terrible I, my, my wife says i eat like a 12 year old and i think that's being generous uh so i fail at all those so uh now you're talking about inner resources do we have those inner resources or do we need to acquire those inner resources and is what you're teaching how to access those resources uh, uh, that are already there. Yeah, exactly. I think we all have um, the capacity for them. They're all kind of waiting for us inside of us. I mean, if you think about it this way, if you think about um, a baby, I don't know if you've spent any time with babies, but if you think about a baby, (laughs) a newborn baby, you know, a baby needs movement. They need tummy time. They need plenty of rest. They need their naps. They need to go to bed early. They need to eat plenty of sweet potatoes and avocados, et cetera. That's their nourishment. And they need to be held and they need to be talked to and they need that skin to skin time, et cetera. And barring any major physical or developmental issues, if those four things are happening, if they're getting movement, if they're getting rest, if they're being fed well, and they're exposed to nature and art and music, and they're being talked to and held, that child will thrive. Now, sometime along the life cycle, people kind of forgot that those are the ingredients that make us thrive. And so all of a sudden we're adults, which quite frankly are just big babies from a, you know, we're still the same entity. We're still the same being. We still require the same ingredients to thrive, to not be cranky, to think well, to be able to operate optimally. Um, but, But somewhere along the line, they just get kind of put on the back burner or thrown out the window. And, and yeah, I think it takes a lot of work to actually, um, as grownups, make sure that we are creating those ingredients in our lives. And, and it's easier said than done. I mean, forming healthy habits, eating well, moving regularly, sleeping enough, like these are, these are really hard things to do. Like you are in very good company if, if these things are hard for you. Yeah. Uh, the question I have is it, it would seem to me uh, forming healthy habits, um, all that kind of stuff. It would seem to me the older you get, the harder it, it becomes to change. People are set in their ways. And so with coaching highly successful people, very few people I think reach high levels of success 
as young people. Some people do before they're 30, but that's a, a small list of people who are extremely successful at a young age. Uh, so the, the longer you go in this process and the more successful you become, the more uh, entrenched you become in your old habits and your ways of, of being, it's harder to make these adjustments. Yes or no? Uh, yes, it can be. So what can happen is all of a sudden you turn around and you're 50 or you're whatever, and you say, well, great. I have all this success. I have great titles. I have plenty of money in the bank or whatever, but you know, my body hurts. I don't feel happy. I don't have a relationship that feels fulfilling to me. I, you know, I'm really, I'm actually just not okay. And, and I think that sometimes it requires sort of a moment of actually feeling those feelings and, and sort of some people have to have a pain point that's big enough to make them decide to create change. I mean, for some people, it's like a big health scare, you know, I mean, it can be, it can be a lot of things for, for a lot of different people, but oftentimes to your point, like, you need a pain point to make changes later on in the game. And, you know, the other half of that I will mention though, is because a lot of the people that I've worked through the years are really like really smart, really high performers. When they start to realize that there's a, a sub-optimized area in their life, they start to, or they can apply that same potential like intention or maybe type A, focus uh, and tendency towards their health and well-being. So, you know, if they can do that, then all of a sudden, you know, they're able to start to form the habits, you know, that are healthy. The flip side of that is that, you know, it's really meant to be a form of loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves instead of like another thing that we should be doing. I'm not too fond of shoulds. I think shoulds, shoulds don't feel so great when when we feel like we should be doing it. I know, I know. I, I've tried to stop. I've, I've made an effort to stop saying that for, uh, probably starting about five years ago, but I still find myself uh, falling back into that habit of, of should. And it, it, it's, I guess that's an old habit that's really hard to break. Um, I think the two of the things, anyway, that you mentioned are obviously physical. Movement and nourishment are physical things. Connection is one where I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people, uh, uh, go through life without the self-awareness that they're lacking connection in their life. And so oh, self-awareness and looking at your life and analyzing what's really important. The song, uh, Cats in the Cradle, because somebody uh, sent me a meme the other day that I said, uh, the older you get, the, the more profound the song Cats in the Cradle becomes because it, it's all about connection with your, your child, but, uh, and how you don't realize that you, you kind of let that connection slide until it's too late, until you're very old and all that stuff. I think a lot of people go through life without the awareness about the connections. So uh, would you do agree with that? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with it. I think it's, it's, it's really, really something that can uh, slip away from people. And, you know, they, they don't often realize that their attention is a currency. Like what we focus on is what, is what, 
you know, dominates our life. And so if we're focusing entirely on work and not on relationships that are important to us, then, you know, that's going to come out in the wash like that, you know, where we place our attention is a very, very, very powerful um, part of the equation. Without me or you appearing sexist with this uh, question and answer, is that lack of self-awareness more predominant in men? You know, it's interesting. You might think so, but in my um, in my private practice, and I see a lot of private private clients, you would be surprised as to how many men come and say, you know, I'm feeling like I need, um, I need, I need more than a business partner in my, in my marriage that I want somebody who's going to make, you know, me feel loved. And I don't just mean in terms of sort of physical intimacy. I mean, in terms of intimacy in general. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. I would be surprised that any men do that, to be honest with (laughs) Uh, I don't know many. Uh, interesting that you said, uh, you know, what you focus on um, becomes bigger in your life. I, I don't know if those are, that's the exact way you put it. But um, on my morning show a couple of days, a comedian friend of mine, was we was talking about that. And I brought up something uh, somebody wrote on Twitter. So I, a young girl wrote on Twitter. Uh, they told me what you focus on becomes bigger. So I'm focusing on my uh, bank account and my ass, which uh, I thought was funny, but uh, uh, that's not an, cause I, I, I've heard that concept my whole life and kind of, I, I understand what it means. You're going to, you're, you're apt to move in the direction of the things you focus on, but that just focusing on it is not going to, um, bring you the answers and, and bring you a healthy bank account or a larger butt, if that's what you or any of that kind of stuff. Definitely not. not Definitely not. It requires more than just your attention for right. sure. Um, but the attention and where you place it is, you know, is a big kind of first step in the equation. So if you decide to shift your focus and your gaze on your relationship, then or on your relationships, or for example, on your diet, or on your exercise, or on, you know, your sleep habits, or meditation, or things like that, if you decide to focus on those things, doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be successful, but you certainly have a bigger shot, or a better shot at sort of understanding what the needs are in order to make those parts of life feel good, in order to make refinements, and in order to nurture those areas of your life, as opposed to if you are kind of ignoring them altogether and only focusing on, let's say, work or your bank account or your butt for that matter, right? So like, so it's, it's, it doesn't, the attention alone doesn't mean you will be successful and it will be fulfilling and expansive and wonderful. Um, But certainly if there is no attention, it's going to be hard to nurture those areas and to and to evolve those areas of your life. No, no, I I understand that. And I think it, that's an important thing. And I and I'm not. I almost said but, but and I think that gets lost in when we oversimplify and people get cling to 
cliches like what you focus on becomes bigger and and those kind of things people spat those out like it has and of course it does have meaning but it's like it's the answer and it's much deeper than that i think by when we get caught up in those kind of cliches or sayings uh it can distract us from uh, from the reality that it takes more than that it's a much deeper process than that thousand percent it is it it requires awareness it requires introspection it requires intention it requires thoughtfulness it inquires it requires looking at ourselves accountability taking responsibility trying to understand um what our needs are and what feels good and what doesn't feel good it requires where we're going what we want out of something i mean it's highly complex right right? but if we don't even think about those things, then, you know, then it's off the table, but, but it is, it's very true. And I'm glad you pointed that out, that there's so many, especially on the internet, just like so much oversimplification and people grab onto it. And it can actually be dangerous because people sort of think that, oh, if I just somehow focus on this, whatever that means, you know, that, that it's going to solve all my problems and and that's that's a and that can lead to great disappointment and giving up on any kind of uh solutions that might lead to progress right if if i if i cling to a cliche and i find it's not working for me well then everything is bullshit and i don't want to i don't want to get involved in anything right so part of um this now the stillness part of it is i've been avoiding that one uh, because that has been a major, and as I get older, it's 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 even more more of a challenge than it was when I was younger. I was able to meditate and and uh, much easier when I was a young man than I am now. The thoughts, the constant chatter within my between my ears. I can't shut it off. And it, it, I think that's a big part of this, right? When you talk about introspection and all that stuff, there's so many, and I'm not schizophrenic. I'm not <laughs> voices in my head, but there's so much internal dialogue going on all the time. The more, more I take on in life, the longer I live, the more it becomes a, 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 a huge wall instead of a small uh, hill to kind of, uh battle what what would you say to that yeah i think that you're not alone i think that you know i think that stillness is oftentimes the hardest for people to yeah. to be able to sit with ourselves to be able to sit with our thoughts to be able to sit with our physical sensations our feelings i mean this is i mean forget about it like in the age of the of the phone right like you know, we're constantly being able to sort of get out of our own skin, to be distracted from our own experience. I was at a restaurant waiting for a friend in New York City a number of years ago, and my friend was late. And she was like a good 20 minutes late or something. And I'm sitting at this table and I'm on my phone. And of course, I'm just like checking off emails. I'm doing what I need to do, getting work done. I don't even like really care that she's late because I have so much to do that, you know, she'll show up and that'll be that. And, and the waiter um, walks by and he says, you know, when you have your phone, you're never alone. And it just sort of like hit me. And I thought, gosh, you know, 10 years before that or whatever, you know, before I had a phone, which I certainly was an adult before I had a phone, I'm not old. 
I would, I would have been sitting there at the restaurant having all kinds of feelings. I would have been pissed off that she was late. I would have been, you know, I don't know, just sitting there like anxious, having to just be by myself. I'd be looking around. I'd be looking at the people around me. Maybe I'd be talking to the waiter. Maybe I'd be talking to somebody else in the restaurant, but I'd have to just sit in my own skin waiting, wondering like, is she going to come? Is she not going to come? You know, she's 20 minutes late. What's going on? And that's just not a thing anymore. And so I think that it's not just us getting older. It's the fact that we actually have no practice at that anymore. So, you know, when we were, I don't know how old you are, but I'm about 50. And like when I was in my twenties and I would be, you know, sitting in a restaurant waiting for somebody, like I had to practice being in my own skin. I had to practice just sitting with my own thoughts, sitting with my own feelings, because there wasn't something to take my attention away at any given moment. Very and now we just don't, we just don't know how to do that as well anymore. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, meditation has become such a main, I mean, there's been a huge amount of research done on it, which is another component, but, but part of the reason why everybody's talking about like, the fact that we should all be meditating is because like people don't have a single moment in, in most of our days where we're not being stimulated by something. So, you know, when, when, when we were younger, you know, you would, meditation was like just woven into your life. Like you would have to just be by yourself and be with yourself. Um, and so you didn't necessarily need to meditate because med you were, you had moments to be with yourself just on the subway or wherever. And right. so anyways, I, I think that a lot of it has to do with technology and social media and our cell phones and the way that our brains have, have really developed in the last 20 years as a result. I agree with, with that. But also, um, it can be a little frightening. It can be a little frightening if, if, if you're kind of used to being overstimulated, that moment when... Um, you are left to your own thoughts and really have to kind of do some introspection. And, and, and I find a lot of people who are, who are not, and I, even though I have a tough time quieting the inner dialogue, I find, I think I'm extremely introspective to a point where um, I can, I, it can be a negative thing. I'm overanalyzing myself constantly and I'm always second guessing myself and all that kind of stuff. And creating negative thoughts about my inner resources and, and things, you know, imposter syndrome and all that stuff. So right. it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing for me, but I would love to be able to cultivate stillness more in, into my life and add it into my life. Now I want to. Okay, well, of... just one thing. It sounds like it's not just stillness. It sounds like even more than just stillness. It's sort of like, it sounds like for you, the practice of sort of actually like learning to love parts of yourself oh, or yeah. accept parts of yourself um, in more of an intentional way is, is sort of the path to being able to be more still. Yeah. Uh, the, the uh, not to distract from this discussion at all, but uh, on Monday night, the, the subtitle of it was a radical forgiveness. And uh, part of that forgiveness it's not external. A big part of that forgiveness is internal. And I carry around a lot of um, resentment, self-resentment, and uh, just find it hard to forgive my own mistakes for 63 years 
of of making them. <laughs> so uh, there's that part of it. I hear I hear you uh, with with that. Now I want to talk about the book though. Is the book a anecdotal book or is it a how to book? What is the format? It's a little bit of both. So it's it's I I really share stories of different clients who um who went on their own journeys of discovering how to cultivate greater inner wealth. So they had their own pain points for various reasons and they basically were able to use the four pillars, movement, stillness, connection and or nur- nourishment to really refine, evolve nurture kind of their inner climate, their inner ecosystem mentally and physically. And I talk about how that, you know, affected them and their lives and their happiness and their, their sense of, of inner wealth, so to speak. And then, um, in addition to those stories, I do offer, um, some very tactical, practical, instructional, how to type of, um, aspects. Okay. That part, uh, in written word for me has always been a challenge to kind of not so much the, you know, the mental stuff or the spiritual stuff, or however you want to, uh, maybe spiritual is probably uh, a frightening word for some people. When we talk about, you know, stillness and meditation and all that stuff, that's what I'm talking about. And you could put any word on that you want. That stuff, it, uh, in written word, I find it easy to absorb, but when it comes to physical stuff, uh, or you know, any kind of things like that, just having a step by step or a written manual on something, I find very difficult to learn those things. Uh, it, do you address that in the book, like things that for movement and absolutely and, yes, and, absolutely. And, and is it easy? I know as an author, you probably when you were writing it figured that this is anybody can learn this but is it adaptable to anybody's learning style because uh, some of these things i feel like i need a youtube video (laughs) or something yeah no i i think that that's fair i think i think that you know i think i I did my best the best that i could with 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 written words however you know a lot of what we do at our company and, and my business is create a lot of teaching, a lot of content, a lot of instructional time to sort of figure out how to bring these practices to life. So, you know, the words can only take us so far. I think we need support. I think we need accountability. I think we need instructionals that are videos or visual. So, you know, that's that's really what my business does is, is create the opportunity to bring these ideas to life in all of those different ways. Gotcha. That's exactly what I was getting at. It's kind of uh, the book is a primer to get you get you uh, started, get you noticing, get you aware of all this stuff. But it's not the end of the journey, right? Absolutely not. It's really the beginning of the journey. And I think what it's meant to do is actually create a framework for people to say, huh, okay, like, you know, that's great that I, you know, jog every morning. And I've been thinking that I've been taking such good care of myself because I jog every morning. However, like I'm feeling really disconnected from people that are important to me and, or I sleep four hours a night and, or like, like they're able to sort of take a little bit of a bird's eye view in a more organized way of their self care and say, huh, like, where do I want to focus some attention to 
nurture or evolve some of these routines in my life. And then from there, yes, then you need support and actually the execution and bringing those things to life. Cool. Cool stuff. Um, and so that they can find out more at hey, hey it's golden.com. Absolutely. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I was leading up to. Uh, I, I'm a, I can be uh, a little distracted by my own uh, dialogue sometimes and forget why I even asked the question. But that's where I'm going. I just want to thank you. Your, yeah. your, your, uh, they start at the website, but there is human support and visual support there. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, now um, w- w- you're not a nutritionist, right? Uh, no. I, I don't see that in all these. No. Now, because this is important. When, when we talk about uh, nourishment, people can be radical. It can be like politics or religion, uh, how, how people can get really emotional and um, locked into one mindset. Uh, what, what is, what's your approach to that? Because nourishment, proper nourishment, as I said, my wife says I eat like a 12-year-old. I feel pretty good for a 63-year-old. That's amazing. All right. But so I, I'm not sure that there's any you know, one size fits all. And when we when we talk about stuff, it, it, there's always people who do believe that one size fits all or, or want, wanting to sell you on their agenda of nourishment. So how do you approach that, um, yeah. the subject of nourishment? Best. So a couple thoughts on nourishment. First of all, nourishment is definitely food. It's a major component of it, but it's more than food. It's it's how we nourish our souls, how we nourish our minds. You know, are we spending time in nature? If we love music, are we listening to music? If we um, if we love art, whether it's looking at art or making art, are we nurturing ourselves in those ways? So so it's 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 a sort of a holistic understanding of nourishment. And then particular to food, which is obviously a big part of it um, and probably the most fundamental component. No, I do not prescribe to a specific, you know, mentality. I think it's a highly, highly individual thing. I'm sorry, I'm having the worst allergies. Me too. I'm I'm having them too. I think we're having them together. It's cool. (laughs) Um, So anyways, I I really, um, I believe that food is a deeply personal journey. I think that people are motivated by so many different variables when it comes to food. People are motivated by their health. People are motivated by environmental issues. People are are, um, motivated by culture and tradition, religion. Um, People are are motivated by, you know, um, to your point, you know, just sort of their, their food politics. And so it's, it's a pretty charged topic, but I'm a big believer in just being conscious with what you're doing. So if you're deciding to eat like a 12 year old and that's feels good to you, and that's, you know, something that you're awake and aware about and a very conscious decision, then that's your, that's your choice. I mean, we could get into the whole rabbit hole of the politics and supporting certain kinds of companies and certain kinds of food. And, I think it's a worthwhile conversation for sure. It's not my expertise, um, but I do believe that everybody has very nuanced needs around nourishment um, for different reasons, you know? Right, yeah. So why do you think you eat like a 12-year-old? What does that do for you? I was thinking about this just yesterday, and I, I didn't think we were going to go here tonight, but you brought up babies before, and I was uh, – because. 
I'm I've written a book that's not even been published yet, and I'm already like thinking about the next book, and it's really it's like a self help memoir. I <laughs> love it. Uh, but so I was thinking about my how I came into this world as a as an infant, and my mother, uh, her idea of keeping a baby content with giving him food, and somehow I. I cooperated with that. So anytime I cried, she would give me ice cream, uh, give me anything to make me happy. And I would, I was an obese infant. By the time I was three, three months old, I think it was 75 pounds. Wow. I was obese. And then to the point where doctors thought there was a metabolism, metabolism issue. And I think that carried through my whole life that idea of uh, it's my peace it's what when i feel like crying ice cream is the answer <laughs> it's still I think to that this makes day. a lot of sense yeah so that's what i think that's why uh, it's not like a, a an intellectual process that i go through like oh you know i i need junk food it's just like i know i've uh, uh, my moods are, are in a bad place. My energy is in a bad place. And then my instinct, it's like on automatic. Pulling it in feels the like bell. it's wired into your like programming. It's wired yeah. into your nervous system. Right. Yeah. And I was thinking a lot about that whole, you know, how we come into the world. I don't think, I don't think, <laughs> I mean, this is a whole other subject, but uh, I, I don't think we give ourselves enough of vacation after the trauma of birth. Because I was thinking about this, my upbringing, very loud, my father's side of the family, very loud Italian, my mother's side of the family, Irish, German, very different cultures. But I know when I was born, like the day after I was born, I was in a room full of very loud, abrasive Italian people. <laughs> and I, 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 I know I still carry that wound around. Like I, I needed two weeks to not have that. I was getting over being a breach with almost strangled myself on my own cord, umbilical cord. I needed time to get over that trauma. I don't think we give babies enough time, enough of a vacation after the initial trauma. That's a whole other story. I think that's a really interesting insight. Certainly it doesn't sound like you had enough, like just quiet time to transition yeah. into this world at that time of your life. Right. So if we could back to the book, I hate to distract. It's always it ends up being about me and my psychosis. <laughs> it's all good. Um, uh, who is the book for? Is it for everybody or is it for um, people who live high sh stress or, um, or who have a lot of ambition? Or, 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 I think or it's really it for, for everybody. I, I, no. I, you know, it's it's. It's certainly based on these sort of ultra high performers that I've worked with through the years, but it is a thousand percent applicable to every single human being because these are basic needs that we're talking about. So um, I think it's these are the fundamentals for so many people. And it's um, yeah, it's really it's really meant to be something that, as I said, kind of gives people a framework, enables them to look at their life and say, huh, OK, like you know, maybe if I move the needle in this pillar or put a little more attention or intention on, on this pillar of my life, you know, maybe it's going to um, affect how I feel because every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if I pull this lever and do a little more, you know, how is that going to affect the holistic picture? Right. Um, 
I don't want to go negative here, but there, and I actually want to go positive with the aspect of what the focus of this week is. And sometimes I, I think there's something greater than myself guiding uh, this program because I, I stopped believing in coincidences. And when I have three yoga teachers on it in a row, I think there's got to be something to that. Now, the two ladies before you who were, they were, they're, one of them is still a, a yoga teacher and is still very much into it. But the relationship with yoga brought them to a place that was pretty negative as far as this um, um, cultism. I'm going to use the word. They, they both use that word. They were both in cults. Now, when somebody finds something that works for them, they become really evangelistic and, uh-huh. and uh, want, want to share that with everybody. And w- within a company, I have seen a CEO who found something like what you teach and wanted to make sure that everybody on her team, everybody within her company bought into it and not everybody was ready for it. So, and so I, where I'm going with this is there's this idea that somebody becomes so really energized and enthused and, and into the, it could be a dangerous thing. It could be if it's, if it's a negative thing, but it could also be a very positive thing. And how do you, how does somebody really kind of, differentiate where, wow, this is a really powerful thing for my company. I, and I want to share this with people, but I don't want to come along, come off as uh, a cult leader or somebody who is insisting that you follow me. Right. Uh, is that a challenge w- with, with this kind of stuff for you? You know, I think that it's really, um, hopefully we're able to guide our clients. So one of my company, you know, works with a lot of organizations to create corporate wellness programs. And, you know, one of the things I learned back when I was um, becoming a social worker was really about the importance of meeting people where they are and building trust. Um, And so, you know, I think it's really important not to go kind of gangbusters in with an agenda that may not be relevant to the people that are in your organization, but to really meet the people in the organization where they are and say, well, well, what are you needing? You know, what, what would be supportive to you? Do you need more movement into your day? Do you need more stillness in your day? Do you need more connection? Like, do you need more support around nourishment? Like what, what do you need? What would be, um, supportive and beneficial to you and and how can we meet you there and support you in the ways that are important to you that are relevant to you and so um, I think that it's it's exciting when people want to you know have a wellness initiative they want to help people get healthy um, but everybody is certainly on their own individual journey and I think without consciousness around that it it can potentially be you know, off-putting for people. Yeah, I think uh, especially in the creative world where uh, CEOs or or upper management people are um, first and foremost creators and artists, uh, have the artist mindset. They find something, and I'm not going to, I don't mean to disparage uh, any, any author, but 
<clears throat> they find something like Tony Robbins' book, and all of a sudden, uh, it it moved them in a big way. Now they they want to share that with so many people, and it becomes they become a disciple, and it can go it can go too far. And and I think that awareness of not everybody is ready, not everybody is ready for the same lessons in life. You are. It's not it's not high school where we all go to the same class together. <laughs> it's a different parts of the journey for and it's important to recognize that right absolutely and it's a very individual formula like what you need is different than what i need and you know what the guy next door needs it's it's highly individual we're all coming from our very unique backgrounds and and challenges and upbringings and programming like you mentioned whether it's around food or sleep or movement or something else and so um without really taking that into consideration, I think that, you know, it has the potential to be, to be a miss and to be, you know, a negative. Uh, How, how, um, how deep a read is the book? Is it, is it, uh, um, I think it's a pretty quick read. I think it's a pretty easy read. I think it's meant to be, um, it's meant to really be inspirational for people to say, huh, okay. Like, I really, you know, I really need to take a look at how I'm paying attention to these different areas of my life. And, you know, I talk a lot about sort of, you know, in a lot of the work that I do, sort of what's the low hanging fruit for you? You know, would it be easy for you to, for example, if you're not doing a lot of movement, it doesn't mean that you need to go to the gym every day. Like, can you take a walk to the end of the block and back, you know, in the mornings? And can you just incorporate that? And and one of the things that's you know, easier said than done is creating habits is to make things routine. Because if you look at the people who really are like exercising every day and getting, you know, seven or eight hours of sleep and, you know, spending quality time with people they care about and showing up in those relationships and feeding themselves with whole foods or, you know, in a way that that feels healthy, they're not usually doing that because they have such extraordinary willpower they're doing it because they've created habits. They've created patterns that are actually, once the ball is in motion, are not that hard to sustain, right? If I have a habit that every morning I take a 30 minute walk and it's like, if I don't do that, something feels amiss, through the repetition of that day after day after day, it starts to feel normal. It's it's actually exactly like brushing your teeth. Yeah. Again, to talk about little kids, if you, you know, anybody who has little kids know that you would like argue with them when they're little to go brush their teeth because they haven't formed a habit. They don't recognize it as just like a natural part of their day, but very few adults would like argue about brushing their teeth because it's just, if they don't brush their teeth before they leave the house, something feels weird. And so. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. It becomes uh, a a part of your existence that you don't question. It's exactly. It's automaticity. You know, it's, it's, you don't think about it. It comes naturally. And and listen, it's not just for movement or stillness. It's things like meditation. It's, it's also about, you know, the people that we spend our time with making space for those relationships. Like that's habit too. Right. Part, I think of of the problem is we uh, we look at external. We're comparing ourselves con- constantly to other people, and, and um, they may be more successful than us, or just just somebody we think uh, has something we would like, or a quality we would like, or uh, uh, like to have, or admire them in some way. And we look at them and judge them as 
not having we, without understanding that that was a ha- habit they developed and just think well that comes naturally to them i wish it uh, you know was that easy for me it's not never it's conditioning and a lot of it and i don't think we're it's a natural thing to think of it that way and be and for what it's a result of us always looking externally and thinking Oh, look at that person. They got so easy. Right. Somehow they have it all together or they, you know, no, they've, they've, they've had enough repetition to form a certain pathway that is not so hard for them to maintain. But listen, bad habits are the same, right? Like if you, if you eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's every night, I mean, I don't mean to be labeling like that as bad per se. And I'm not like, so don't listen to <laughs> people, but like if you eat a pint of ice cream every night, like that's a habit. It's just like, it's just, if you start doing it, it starts to feel normal. And like, you don't question it. Or if you come home and drink a six pack, like that's a habit. And so it's really, you know, it's really important to look at our habits, both our good habits and our bad habits. And to think about like, what trajectory are they putting us on? Right? Like what trajectory is that morning walk putting me on? What trajectory is that you know, kind of ice cream putting me on and, and understand that like, whatever we're doing on repeat, like is going to ultimately impact us in some way, shape or form. It's just the way the law of nature. Yeah. Uh, coming back to where, where you started, I guess this is coming back to where you started, where, uh, there are people who can be highly successful and not have, uh, great control over their inner resources or, or ways to access them. Uh, just yesterday, uh, one of uh, comedians that, that I follow on Twitter was talking, and he's one of the most successful comedians in the world. I'm not going to mention his name, but he was talking about being at uh, an airport at 5.30 in the morning and having cocktails uh, with his, his omelets. And I know he's a hardcore alcohol. He's drunk all the time, but extremely successful. And it, it it's one of those things where I look at it and say, how could that be possible? Cause I'm, I'm struggling <laughs> to be successful without being a drunk <laughs> and, and I'm not well, judging him. Professionally successful, but he might right. not necessarily be successful in other areas of his life. And just because he's successful doesn't necessarily mean he's happy. And so that's a big differentiator to to really understand. Is that yeah, you can you know, never you can never know that, and I assume that all all the time. But and that's part of envy and jealousy and all that. Not so much of that, but it's just like wonder. It's like how come? How could somebody? You know, how do people make do it? And and other people completely uh, sober have a tough time getting through life. It's it's, it's, a, it's a, a very interesting thing. Anyway. Uh, we're, we're about 50 minutes in. Uh, any final thoughts on, on um, encouraging people to pick up the book and get started with this? Check it out. Check it out on Amazon. Um, as I said, it's hopefully a quick inspirational read in a way to kind of get, uh, take inventory on on your self-care and, and figure out what resources need to be supported and and cultivated and nurtured in your life and um, reach out to me or us by the website. um, So we can, we can talk about how we can support you or your organization. We work with both individuals, executives, as well as companies and, and yeah, we meet people where they are. Great. And uh, yeah, I guess it starts with a consultation at Hey, It's Golden, right? 
Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Listen, take care of your allergies. I I understand what you're going through. Thanks for bearing no, with me. Nobody sympathizes with you more than me because every every morning I start the show, I start at nine o'clock and I start panicking at, at about 22 because I can't stop sneezing. And- yeah. <laughs> I hear you. So please do. T- I appreciate you uh, being a trooper and, and fighting fighting through it and being with me and sharing this information. Uh, I, I hope the book does well for you. And, and Thank you so much. Oh, bye for now. Julie Wald, folks. Uh, hey, it's golden.com. Interesting stuff there. Listen, um, I think it really does come back, come down to uh, understanding that not, there's no real easy path to uh bettering yourself everything takes work and i think understanding uh, the big thing for me is understanding that the book or uh even a one-on-one consultation at at hayes golden that's a starting point it's 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 really important to set yourself up with realistic expectations and nothing well i read this book and all of a sudden i'll be on my way to um uh, enormous success and get happy in life and find my purpose and be fulfilled and have the great connection and love life at home and all of my relationships it's a primer to get you there and you put the stuff into practice day by day it gets a little better you understand it a little more and over time you see the changes and i think that's important with any of this kind of stuff is to recognize that um patience it's the book one more time. Inner Wealth. Uh, I can't read that. <laughs> My eyes are so shut. I can't read the uh, um, the tagline on it. How wellness heals, nurtures, and optimizes ultra successful people. Uh, so that's it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the program. Write to me at info at mindogtv.com. Let me know what you think. I'll be with you back in the morning with Coffee with the Dog. We're not even sure who the guest is for tomorrow morning. Uh, I think William Conway will be with And, uh, We'll, we'll talk to you then. So uh, until then, I'm Matt Napo for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your night. Bye for now.
Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.